I, I hope that I go the route of maybe getting to testify before Congress before it's all over and not say getting beheaded. <laughs> That's my right. goal. Um, but yeah, if you're to choose a path, yeah, yeah I'm going to go with I'm uh-huh. going to go with that. It's car con carne. Uh, it is the world's only food podcast recorded in a car, and today reading breakfast in my Mazda three. Uh, Amy Guth is sitting shotgun, uh, a return guest on Carcon Carne, and Amy, you have so much going on. I, I figured we would talk about it over scones. Yeah, and as coffee. one does, <laughs> as one does. Uh, we're at a place called Scone City, which is an entire sk- city fashioned from scones, and it is uh, a source of endless puns around the word scone. When we decided to go here, uh, there was a pun exchange. Scone Loke was my favorite. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Although, you know, full credit to you for Scone Thugs in Harmony. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, and I'm at some point, I'm going to rework the entire lyrics to Alone by Heart to be about scones. Scone Ranger. <laughs> right. Scone Crawford. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 See? Endless scone puns. You know, there was a period of time earlier this year when I think you talked to every media outlet about your documentary project, I've yet to talk to you about it. That's true. And I, I So know, I haven't talked to every media outlet because uh, I haven't sure. been here. But you've covered it, and I'm sure you're probably tired to some extent of talking about it. But Nope. Okay, let's go. Tell me what it is. So I'm doing a documentary. Uh, originally, the pitch line was about women and online harassment. It has, it has really expanded. So it is... It is covering women and underrepresented voices and online civility, harassment, and abuse. And it started out with the idea of a 90-minute documentary about this, but I quickly realized that you just can't put, um, you know, bullying and snark as a default language of the Internet in the same breath as you can with doxing and swatting and all of these horrible fates that can befall people online. But we should explain what doxing and swatting are. I don't yeah. think those are household terms. Yeah, when I say that, a lot of times people think doxing is a sex thing and swatting is like a, sex a spanking, thing. <laughs> right? Like another sex thing, right. Um, so, so doxing is the act of putting someone's personal information out into a public forum, usually the internets, uh, for the purpose of, of exposing them to potentially, you know, ne'er-do-wells, just exposing them and terrorizing them, things like that. That's awful. It's awful. Um, It has happened to me. It's uncomfortable. It's a scary feeling to have all of, you know, not all of your personal information, but if it's enough, that's like, here's your address and your social security number and your phone number, and here are the hours that she works and when she, what door she leaves that up. That's enough to freak you out. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, It's spooky. So, um, you know, I've talked many times about doing... um, Uh, I do Krav Maga, which is an Israeli uh, combat defense system. Um, It's not a martial art technically, though it looks like one. Um, I talk about that often, and I've had to use it on the street a couple of times, and I feel like if someone just walked up to me, I could, you know, open up a can on them and bring it down. But if I don't know my assailant, I can't do anything but worry and, and and feel hunted. And so it was a really scary feeling. So that's doxing. Swatting is the act of triggering law enforcement to your home. So there are many cases, uh, generally it's done like this, like uh, someone gets a disposable cell phone, they get close enough to someone's home that they could bounce off their closest cell tower, 
or not. Sometimes you don't even bother to do that. Um, and make a call to law enforcement, usually on a federal, like it's usually an FBI thing, and say, hey, I'm being held against my will in this person's basement as a, you know, sex slave or whatever. He's already killed the other woman. Please oh hurry. God. This is the address. And that's a real thing that happens. That's a real thing that happens. And so, um, you know, obviously law enforcement is going to send a lot of people to your house to rescue said person at that point. Um, where it gets really, really, really fluky and terrible is there's a few examples of, you know, you, the person pulling the trigger on that will follow their target on Twitter and Facebook and make sure it's at the most inconvenient time possible. There was an example I heard of in which it was, um, they waited for the guy's daughter's birthday party. No. And so there's all these seven year olds at the house and suddenly there's a SWAT team. Like they almost shot his dog and his teenage son and it was all bad. So it's it's more than just inconvenient. It's you know I think we use a lot of words like bully and and troll when we talk about online harassment. But in fact, it's it's I think we need to start calling it what it is. And it's it's really a form of terror. It's emotional terrorism because you know you can't function quite normally if you're being really heavily you know hunted and stalked online. Um, and for some people, it's really not a big deal. There's some people that feel like it is a perfectly legitimate way of controlling people who they don't agree with um it's you know it's it's dangerous and this is horrifying it's horrifying it's very horrifying um there are some men's rights activists and you know what everybody's got a right to believe whatever they want and uh there's some organizations that fall under the banner of men's rights activists um there's one guy that i was looking at on twitter and he said i will something effective i will um gladly harass women online until no woman would be willing to admit that she's a feminist. We just have to stop all these feminist voices. And I'm like, what in the hell are you talking about? So uh, there's so much, I mean, there's so much to it. You know, there's, I, I couldn't really put like people being a smart ass as a default communication mode online with this in the same breath. So it quickly became a documentary series. So I've been traveling around and interviewing really interesting people with really compelling stories. Um, there are several hundred interviews that I need, so it's going to be a long-haul project. Um, well, I think most documentary projects of this size and scope are quick to hit the public. I mean, this will be yeah. a couple and, of years probably, right? Yeah, even if you're just doing a documentary or a, a, a biography about one person, it's still going to be probably at least a year. So this, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I'm going to be, you know, people say, oh, I saw you were in production a few weeks ago. Are you all done? And I was like, yeah, this is going to sure. ask me in two years, I think is when that's going to be happening. Um, so there's a lot to do, but it's, it's meaningful work. You know, I, I have this, this motto in my life. And that is if you catch yourself saying, Hey, someone's really got to do something about blank, then that person should be you. And, and this is no different. I, I was thinking, um, what caused this whole thing to come together was not only my experience, um, and mine was triggered by something really innocuous. I, I do radio, of course, at WGN. And that uh, one night I said, it was kind of after Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, I said, oh, hey, look, if you don't know what someone celebrates, just say happy holidays until you know the difference. It doesn't cost you anything to be inclusive. And that really triggered um, a lot of rage and hatred against me that was like accused me of of hating Christians, which I don't. I believe in all paths to enlightenment. And if it feels good and is meaningful to you, then do it. I don't have any issue with Christianity. Um, 
Uh, I was accused of, you know, like waging a war on the traditional family, like all this crazy stuff that was so baseless. Um, it, it snowballed into this this ultimately me getting doxxed thing. And this is crazy. And as someone myself who's done radio for a long time, we all say things just off the yeah. cuff, randomly. And I've it, said way more controversial yes. things than that on, on in the air. But the idea of someone zeroing in on just really almost a throwaway statement. Yeah, it was. It's scary. Go ahead. It was scary. And, and, and I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of pieces to fixing this. I think the biggest one and, and probably the most difficult one to fix is, is going to be the, the issue of culture. We need a culture change. There's a very, you know, victim blaming culture online as in many areas of our life. Right. Um, so when I, you know, was trying to have I was trying to have conversations with law enforcement about this because some of these threats got quite bad. Um, some were legitimate rape and death threats. There was one about me getting beheaded. Jesus. And the scary thing, of course, being it's anonymous. Right. And I have no idea if that person is on the other side of the world and just farting around or if they mean it and they're watching me. Um, it got a little scarier when someone started sending me through a disposable Twitter account, sending me pictures of myself on the air. Uh, that means they had been standing behind me watching me through the glass, and that was pretty scary. So, you know, it got spooky, and um, that happened. But at the same time, and that, I mean, that made me angry, and I thought, you know, we got to fix this. Isn't it fair that I just kind of am being told to suck it up? And, hey, you're our pretty lady. Get, you know, get off of Twitter if, if you can't hang. And that narrative really started to bother me, which I will come back wait, wait, to. Did people say that? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Even, even people that I know that I think are very sympathetic to this issue we're saying things like well you don't even know i'm like blow it off why would you let it upset you and i think there's some dangerous narratives around online harassment that make it worse frankly um around the same time though so i also do work with the op-ed project i'm a facilitator there and the op-ed project is a social enterprise that helps to increase the diversity of voices in the public narrative so um i was seeing you know we're working with people to get their big ideas out there and 99.9% of the time, it's great. It's a wonderful success. A big idea is launched out there in an op-ed form or someone gets booked on like a talking heads, you know, kind of Sunday morning Mm -hmm. talk show. And it's great. But once in a while, something really serious happens. And that was the case with the group I was working with at the time. And uh, one of the women was getting a lot of death threats and uh, she was writing about an international issue. So hers were coming from all around the world. And it was really terrifying to her. And she just said, you know what? I don't have a choice. I can't do this. And she chose to not write again and chose to not be on TV again, chose to not be on the radio again. And here's a woman who had history-making information. And, and there were some people in that group that had literally had life-saving information in their heads. And and if, if those people are saying, I I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to participate, This it's too uncivilized, it's too dangerous, then I had this realization that the only people left controlling the narrative are going to be the loudest and the meanest. Now, as you went, went ahead the, or went through the process of putting this on Kickstarter and getting yeah. this off the ground, did you have a moment where you thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe this, am I screwing myself, will this bring bring me harm? Um, yes and no. I didn't think I shouldn't do it because there's, I guess, not that I'm inviting more because it was horrible, but there is a little bit of liberation having already gone through it that I already, I already know what it's like. I know what's out there. I know what can be done. Um, so it's not like I'm 
not afraid of it. But, you know, a lot of people said to me, are you sure you want to do that? You're going to, you're going to get so much blowback. People are going to be so mean to you. And I was like, that's all the more reason to do it. Someone's got to, you know, someone's got to. And if we all say, well, I might get trolled, so I'm not going to do it, then we're not going to get very far. So I think there is like a legislative piece. And, and I say that as a journalist who believes in the freedom of speech in a very big way, I think there is a legislative piece. I think the tech giants, meaning Twitter, Facebook, Google, um, they have such homogenous hiring practices and cannot look past their own hiring bias and their cultural biases that they can't possibly take it seriously. So I think Silicon Valley needs to really work on diversity, not because it's the right, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because you can't be sympathetic to something befalling a group of people if, if the, those people are not represented in your organization. So I think the tech giants have a role to play here. I certainly think law enforcement has a role to play here. Um, and and then I, th- I, I bet law enforcement doesn't know what to do with this. They don't. And that's the issue. If you get if you get up to a high level cybersecurity person, that's fine. But if you if you're terrified, you you print out your tweets and you walk into a police station, n- nothing is going to happen, most likely. They'll say, um, yeah, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, uh, if, and, if anything else happens, you know, make sure you let us know. And sometimes that next thing that could happen could be you getting beheaded or raped or whatever. And that's that's terrifying. And so there's a law enforcement piece. Um, but I think the narratives around it are really the big piece because if we, the, the, the message that we keep sending is this is the normal thing. And if you can't handle it, don't be on Twitter. Don't participate. And that's that's where I call foul because everybody has a right to participate with the expectation of relative safety. You're an interesting person because I, I don't know many people who would go ahead with this. Would run at this. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, I, I definitely think it takes a, a certain kind of chemical makeup to, to say, you know what? This needs, to, this needs to change. I guess I'm the agent of change. You know... I've been thinking about that and and because a lot of people have said where where does that come from in you I used to do I used to be on the mass casualty and um, disaster relief team at the Red Cross and maybe it comes from that because they kind of teach you to run at the you know yeah. run at danger I don't know but I, I think that would be oversimplifying it because I do think that that's just part of my personality I've always been like a um, I think that I have a severely overinflated sense of justice. <laughs> and and when things are wrong, like I want the world to be fair and I want the world to be just, you know. So and in, I think, in a way, you're like Batman, <laughs> but with way way less cool clo- clothing. I have far cooler outfits. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot to to fix around this. I I can't do it all, but I can do what I can. And I think we have we all have a responsibility to do what we can. So I think there's the narrative part. Um, you know, because we're certainly teaching like young people anyway, that here's what's normal. And if you can't hang bail out. And so recently there's an app that's coming out. That's like, actually it came out yesterday. I think, um, that's like Uber for women. And I wrote an op-ed about it because I said, you know, the answer is not to revert back to Victorian separate spheres of living and, and say, you know, pull women off to the side. If they don't feel safe in an Uber, the answer is to fix Uber, like fix the accountability of who is driving an Uber and make sure they don't terrorize women and victimize them and, and abuse them. So, I mean, it's a big, complicated issue, and I'm biting off a lot, and who knows how it's going to go for me. I, I hope that I go the route of maybe getting to testify before Congress before it's all over and not, say, getting beheaded. <laughs> That's my right. goal. Um, but yeah, if you're to choose a path. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go with I'm uh-huh. going to go with that. And it's not going to be easy. And I think there will be some days that are really, t- you know, tough. Some people on, that backed me on Kickstarter. Thank you, everybody who did that. 
Um, and, and I define backing not just the people who gave me money, but the people who tweeted about it and yeah. sent me notes and introduced me to people who had stories to tell. But uh, one of my Kickstarter backers, um, she sent me a pair of socks that were so awesome that have like cherubs on it. And in old English script, it says, you rocketh on the toes. <laughs> and she wrote me a sweet note of just saying, like, these are consider these, uh, you know, currency in your bank. And anytime you need, there's going to be some tough days. And anytime you need it, please wear these socks and remember that there's a lot of people that are rooting for you and think that you're great. And I love that. And I thought that was really good. You should eat your scone. I should eat my scone. Uh, what did you get? I got the gluten-free um, blueberry lemon scone, and it smells delicious and heavenly. Uh, they have sweet and savory scones. I got the breakfast scone, which is like an entire breakfast plate condensed into one incredibly dense um, oh scone. God. There's like bacon, egg, cheese, some herbs in this. I, I don't even know. This is delicious. It's um, This is like super lemony, and it's, you know, people roll their eyes at gluten-free stuff. I'm, I like to eat super healthy food, and... Me too. <laughs> clearly, with that scone. Um, and this is not like the gluten-free baking of days of yore. I think it got a bad rap because when gluten-free baking was first a thing, it was like hockey pucks. And it's come a long way. It has evolved. And this is a delightful example of gluten-free baking. And you have set your coffee, which has no Which has lid no on. lid. <laughs> Just set it on top of my coffee with wires everywhere. Like no big deal. Yeah. There, there's some risk involved with this podcast. I live dangerously, JBL. So really, I mean, kind of like what you're doing with the documentary, this podcast is all risk. <laughs> it's all risk. It's Tru- all risk. Trouble waiting to happen. All right. So the documentary is in motion. Mm-hmm. How many people have you talked to so far? Mm, like six or so. But I've, I've talked to about 250, but I filmed six. That's a lot of communication. It's a lot of people. I have um, two really awesome partners in crime, or in partners of justice, really. That's right. Um, Jackie Kostek <laughs> is my director of photography, who is a delightful person and a good friend. And I like I could pick no better partner for this because she is so smart and has such good instincts and so fun. And just such a good person to be around. You know, and you're traveling and you're schlepping a lot of gear and doing a lot of stuff and running for airplanes at ungodly hours and checking light bulbs through TSA, which is a weird thing I never thought I would do. That is weird. But you have to travel with a whole lot of light bulbs when you're making a film. So we have 12 of these giant CFL bulbs that we have in this weird case that is like, it looks like we have, it looks like the briefcase you would carry if you were carrying a million dollars in unmarked bills. And we look kind of badass walking through them airport with it but it's just light bulbs it's not even that badass so would it be easier if you just checked them um we have we have checked them we have carried them we've done lots of things you start checking bags you know we we complain about bag fees when we're traveling mm. on vacation who loaded bag fees when you're making a that. film yeah it's a whole other story and i i tr- i'm being really transparent about everything with because people gave me their hard-earned money to make this film through kickstarter mm-hmm. and um and some after kickstarter there's still people that are giving you know donating to the project which i encourage um even then you know i'm being really transparent about that and sometimes that involves okay i'll fly in first thing in the morning and fly out you know the last flight that night and so i'll there i've just saved a couple of hotel rooms boom mm-hmm. um so i'm doing stuff like that but um so I'm working with her, and then also uh, my friend Tamar Fox is the locations manager, and she is the most organized human being on the planet. 
and I like to think I'm organized and she makes me look like a just a big old slacker slob because she is so organized and so on top and so she's doing kind of the the hard part right the day-to-day the logistics and all that kind of stuff so the three of us all together are a good a good team and I I couldn't do I couldn't have even gotten this far without without those two this is like five breakfasts in one scone I know it's huge it's delicious. This is as heavy as a dwarf star. This is, <laughs> this is a dwarf insane. star. All right. So since you've done these six interviews and had all these, you know, separate conversations, what have you learned so far? Wow. Because I'm, I'm sure there have been things that have come up that you didn't even imagine. Well, as I put a bite of scone in my mouth, mm-hmm. um, I think I learned. First, I learned the most during Kickstarter. Um. Because every time I thought I'd heard the most horrible, vile thing that could happen to someone online, I would hear something worse. So there's certainly been a lesson in um, never underestimate the crappiness of your fellow human beings. And then um, there's that. Mm. There is. Um, cer- As you talk, I should pay for parking. Oh, yeah, that. Um, there's certainly that. I think I, I've definitely. Um, I mean, it's a weird little. It's a weird little club, right? People that have been horrified online and and think about this stuff all day long. And I say that as someone who I got off so easy, you know, there's people that have had it way worse. I mean, what I, what happened to me was a drop in the ocean compared to what has happened to some people. And that's an interesting perspective because what happened to you would be just, I mean, that'd be devastating for a lot of people. The fact that you stood back up uh, is impressive. I said hell to the no. You did say hell to the no. (laughs) So, I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I think the gift is that I have to think about it so much. I'm constantly challenging my own uh, perceptions around this. You know, I'm constantly thinking of new and different nuances to this big, big topic that's so complicated. Um, you know, and, and there's so many aspects to it. I mean, just the other day I was talking to someone about, um, you know, well, why are you making this? Because, you know, I have the right to say whatever I want online. Yeah, you do. You have the right to say whatever you want. And I think that's, I had this epiphany that that's often where the, that's why we're not getting very far is because we, as soon as someone says, I have the right, we stop the conversation. And really we do have the, I have the the right to walk up to that guy walking by the car right now and call him a big old jerk. But where the conversation ends is that we don't talk about responsibility. There are consequences to my actions. Mm -hmm. And if I walk up and tell him that he might punch me, he might, you know, who knows what will happen. And we forget about the responsibility and the consequence. And so I think, you know, there's constantly new, not new, but new to my brain, you know, synapses firing off and new threads of this coming together. And it gets, some of it is really obvious and, 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 things I should have thought of and some of them are, are really nuanced and complicated and weird and and some of them are uh, have an inherent tension in them and they're like an unsolvable problem but you have to just kind of sit with the tension of um, you know having the right to say something versus having you know I, I totally believe in the right of free speech yet I do believe there you know has there are pieces of this that need to get fixed so I think there's a lot of tension to dance in and I tend to be a solver so it's it's made me get comfortable with just kind of sitting within tension with an unsolved question dangling over me. As, as you're saying all these very serious, very important things, I'm covered in crumbs. <laughs> me too. Hey, I feel like a, a six-year-old in school right now. You're I talking know. about very serious stuff, and I'm just dropping scone all over me. But super delicious stuff happening right here. I, I, I would say 
if someone were to visit, if a tourist were to visit Scone City, which I endorse, yeah, uh, maybe split a scone. Yeah, it, it really is too much, and I, I'm usually committed. I'm, I'm all for the clean plate club. That is too much. Uh huh. But totally delicious. And my cappuccino, they do that artful uh, Ukrainian village, Wicker Park, Logan Square thing, where they actually make your cappuccino look like, or your milk look like a little leaf. Yeah, you had a fancy leaf. It was really swank. And they did it effortlessly. Yeah, she did. Also, super fast service, I would say. Well, they're not making the scones. No, no, but like like the coffee part. Oh, yeah. For a cappuccino? If you're going to get a fancy coffee with like fancy art on the top, that takes minutes of careful hipster thought. All right. So the documentary, it is a work in progress. It is a work uh, if in people progress. want to kind of keep tabs on where you're at or get progress reports, social media or your mm-hmm. website? Well, social media, because here's the issue. I don't have a name for it yet. So I can't, there's mm-hmm. no, I don't have a website for it because I don't know what to call it. I've been thinking all along, you know, some name is going to emerge organically in these conversations I'm having with people. How about this shit is fucking horrifying? <laughs> A documentary by Amy Guth. I love that. That's good. Uh, it could be that. You know, one interesting thing I, I will mention, too, is that I've asked everybody that I interview, uh, one thing I'm doing a little bit differently is instead of scouting locations um, from scratch, I'm asking everyone to pick a location that would be powerful for them to tell that story. So that has ranged everything from right on, I would like to have that interview in a sex shop, to I would like to have that interview in the room where I try to commit suicide. Oh, my God. It has ranged for so many things, and that's been powerful. That's I want it in my own house because that's where it happened, and I want to show that I have to move every year to stay away from people. That, that's, that, that's real. Some of these people have to move every that's year. That's real. Yeah, that's real. There is someone who I, I like caught her in the middle of moving because she moves constantly because she's um, always, you know, her address, her information gets made public, so she and her husband pack up and move all the time. That is tough. That is... That yeah. is those are trying circumstances. Trying circumstances and and not particularly affordable ones. Oh God, no! You know, I mean, if you get afraid, if you get if you get scared, and you have to go to a hotel, if you have to move, like that's not free. <laughs> that's yeah. You know that costs, and add in if you have children, which some of these women do. There's a whole other layer of that of keeping your kids in the dark enough, but telling them enough to be yeah. smart and be safe. And I mean, it's it's um. It's tough. It's a really tough one, and, and it's it's there's a real toll that it's taken on people. You know, there are women that have had, um, and, and not just women. There there are people that have tried to talk openly about some some horrible thing that has befallen them to try to raise awareness. And in that, I would put in uh, there are people that have tried to talk about uh, depression. There are people that have talked about like fertility issues, trying to conceive. That's a long, you know, painful mm-hmm. process for a lot of people. Um, there have even been people that have um, been open about talking about like miscarrying and gotten severely, severely attacked online and, and over something that you're already feeling so vulnerable about. And, and that's the problem, I think, is we need to show humanity and vulnerability to get to a better place and a better culture online and in the world. But when you do, often that is the thing that will make you a target. So there's a dance there. When you first told me you are doing this. You thought I was crazy. No, I, I don't think I said that. No, my my first impression, you know, going back to that idea that you know this is a courageous thing to do, and really not everyone is wired to, you know, walk right into this. Uh, I compared it to whoever that first person was who broke open Scientology, <laughs> who who had the who had the stones to say, you know what, this is this stuff is nuts. Here's what goes on because that person, you know, pre-internet, 
subjected his or herself to great peril. I think. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I, yeah. I similar in a way. I mean, you're taking on. Yeah. You know, Scientology is a more clear organization, but you're taking on a structure of terror. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on some level, I'm like. I don't say, not that I want anything to happen. I don't, I don't even, I don't, I don't like even credit comments online, but <laughs> on some level, bring it, you know, on some level, someone's got to do this. Why not me? And, and who else? Right. Why not me? And, and why shouldn't I? And I mean, within, within 15 or so minutes of the Kickstarter being live, someone sent me kind of a veiled death threat. So it was like, you, you know what? You, like you're proving my point here of, why, basically was saying like shut this down or I'll shut you down or what you know some but it was like a little more severe than that yikes um and I'm just like that's only encouraging me to do more and that's only proving my point of why this is so necessary so it's it's not the safe route but I don't think I've ever taken the safe route in my life I mean I often tell a story about when I was little my dad took me to a public pool and we were looking at the drain at the deep end. And he was like, how deep do you think that is? Do you think that's bigger than a tree from the bottom to the top of the water? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's bigger than a tree. And he threw me in. I was four. Oh, my God. And he threw me in. And, and I came up, you know, I, like, bobbed right up and w- didn't know what to do. And he, like, looked at me and he was super calm. And he said, I'm not going to, you're not going to be in trouble. You need to swim to me. I'm not going to let you drown. You need to swim to me. And so what what was wired in my head right then I don't remember being panicked what I remember was suddenly being in the in the pool and then suddenly knowing how to swim really confidently because I had to and so I am wired that way to like dive in and learn and I think that my confidence is highest when I just jump in and do it and and figure it out wow now I I know you've got a lot going on you are a journalist by trade you're going on on a on a a trip on a journalistic mission yeah yeah um and it's it's kind of aligned with this so there's an organization um an organization a a project called the refugee kitchen that i've been asked to be a part of that i'm so honored to be part of i mean the more i've learned about them and what they're doing it's it's amazing so it's um as people are going to are fleeing syria and other parts of the world but particularly syria and going to refugee camps, a lot of narratives are emerging about food. And that could be the food I miss from home. That could be when I landed, a stranger took me to a restaurant for an hour of normalcy and then took me to this camp. That could be, here's someone from from another part of my home that made this you know, meal on this holiday and for a minute the camp seemed normal. So I'm going to be traveling to... Um, refugee camps over the summer and uh, interviewing people all about this. And so um, while I'm traveling, a lot of the places align with documentary spots. Um, I have a, I have an interview in London. I have one in Glasgow, but also I will be in the UK for this. So there's, there's going to be some travel that is kind of super multitasking, but um, you know, what's so interesting and I don't mean to be too woo woo here, but I'm a big journaler. Ever since I could write, I've journaled. And and I look back often. Sometimes I'll just look back. What was I doing a year ago this week and two years ago or whatever? Sometimes I'll just look back. And I I looked back at about a, a year in March. I looked back about a year ago. And I wrote this thing where I was really, I was still at the Tribune at the time. And I was thinking, I want 
to travel and I want to really dig in and challenge myself as a journalist and I want stories that challenge me and I want to make the world better with the journalism I'm doing. And I, I, I've described all this so perfectly in hindsight, which was kind of cool and interesting and of the things I wanted to do. And, and it wasn't, and I don't say that to negate any of the stuff I was working on. I, I loved the things I was doing at the Tribune and the time I was there. I did lots of cool things I'll never forget. But I was ready for more. And I described it so perfectly. And it was kind of cool to look back and go, okay. And so I looked back about a week after I got back from South Africa. And I was there with the op-ed project. And it was just kind of cool to say, you know, look, I, I did what everyone thought was a crazy thing. I jumped off the high dive and without a job lined up. And I said, I have confidence in myself to figure it out and, and piece it together. I'd rather have 12 part-time jobs and one full-time job. Even then, I didn't have one. I still had like three and, and jobs. And that is the new model. Yeah, and I love it. I love that. I really believe that is that is the new way of the mm-hmm. world. That idea of segueing from one office job to another. People, at least on the creative side of the world, aren't doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... They're piecemealing these interesting gigs together. Yeah, and it was a great job. I mean, I, you know, I, I had no... I wasn't worried about money or invoicing people or any of those things. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, I had a pretty good deal there and everyone thought that was so crazy to jump off the high dive like that. But I was, I was really like, I'm convinced in my bones, that's the right move. And I did it. And there's a really cute dog walking by little, where is it right there? Hiding by the tree. It's so so tiny. I can't see it. It's like a little, it's like a French bulldog or a Boston Terrier. Maybe. I don't know. It's really cute though. See, I like the big dogs. I like dogs you can sleep on. Yeah, I love practically big, big, ridiculous dogs. And I'm seeing more Bernese Mountain dogs those everywhere I go. Best. That's what I want. I want a big old Bernie. I love those dogs. I also really love Samoyeds. They're so silly. Have you ever seen those? I think I in my head I can hear the Westminster announcer saying Samoyed. The Samoyed is the big white puffball. Mm-hmm. Not to be... The Great Pyrenees is the big, big one. The Great Pyrenees is the white version of a Newfoundland. Yes. And then the Samoyed is the slightly smaller one, yeah, but okay. they're so silly Samoyed. and funny. And I used to have this neighbor that had a Samoyed named Blanco. And Blanco, when he was a puppy, was just this little puff ball. And he mm-hmm. was so funny and silly and would just was bouncy. And they're hilarious dogs. There's a, a Twitter account called Samoyed Bot. All they do is tweet pictures of Samoyeds being <laughs> cute. I follow them because sometimes... See, that's a benign use of technology. I know. <laughs> but you know what? We we joke about it, but like I think that stuff matters, especially when, you know, in our world, we follow so many hard news accounts and we're looking at, you know, here's how many people, here's how many human beings lost their lives on planet Earth today. Yeah. And, you know, and you're, and you're seeing these horrifying stories of in our own backyard and the other side of the world, children and, you know, families mm-hmm. and all these horrible things. And you're like, okay, there's a smoid. I'm going to take a second. Because, you know, I mean, the thing they say about putting your oxygen mask on in the airplane is true. <laughs> you know, put your own, you can't pour from an empty glass. So you do have to fill your own, fill your own self sometimes. And sometimes that's with pictures of Samoyeds. I agree. We all need those distractions. Yeah. Cute dogs, bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Samoyeds. Uh, so Amy Goo, thank you for, for sconing with me. <laughs> Happy to scone with you. All right. So you are on uh, the Twitter and the Facebook. You are. I'm at Amy Guth everywhere. And uh, the website is amyguth.com. That's the one. Uh, good luck with the documentary. It's, uh, I know there are challenges. I know it's a lot of sweat equity going into this. I think there's a payoff at the end. Here's hoping.